This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 75 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. The SANS Institute is a well-known and respected cooperative research and education organization. Since its founding in 1989, they've worked with over 165,000 security professionals around the world, providing training and certification. They also provide free access to a huge library of research documents about information security, and they run the Internet Storm Center, which they describe as the Internet's early warning system. Our guest today is Dr. Johannes Ulrich, and he's responsible for that early warning system. He's a popular public speaker and host of the ISC Stormcast Daily Podcast, a daily briefing of cybersecurity news that professionals around the world rely on to stay up to date. Stay with us. I grew up originally in Germany and I came to the U.S. as a graduate student, originally studying physics. And really what got me into cybersecurity was just the fact that uh, doing physics, uh, I was actually doing a lot of x-ray work. I created a lot of software to sort of remote control experiments. And at one point, well, I wanted to control these experiments from home. This was mid-90s. I got uh, one of the first cable modems back then. Built my own router uh, with a little Linux box. The problem back then was uh, if you set up Linux, um, it wasn't just open source. It was also uh, an open mail relay by default. Hmm. So, um, of course, a couple of weeks later, I got the phone call from my ISP that I was sending a lot of spam. <laughs> and I guess, you know, like anybody in security, you get into security after your first incident. Right. <laughs> and that got me interested into, you know, what is spam? How does it all work? I learned about firewall rules and all of that. And then so the second mistake I guess I made, uh, which is a mistake that most people don't make, I actually started to look at my logs. Uh-huh. And I realized that uh, there are all these people out there all across the world that try to get into my system for you know, no apparent reason. I, I did some pretty cool research, I thought, but you know, as a typical researcher, I was happy if people read my papers and such. So it wasn't anything uh, secret or such. So that really then got me more into security. I started uh, the system called theshield.org around 2000 where basically I decided with a couple of friends, hey, let's share our logs and um, try to figure out uh, what this is all about, who is looking uh, for our data and why are they doing it. And so that got me then more into uh, security and really as part of the industry. So, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, you have your you have your Ph.D. in physics. Uh, How does your uh, your training in physics, does that at all inform how you approach things in cybersecurity? I think it does in the sense that uh, I sort of like the data-driven approaches where uh, I try to look for for proof that a certain uh, protection method works or doesn't work. So uh, that was also the idea behind the shield to really collect data. What are the attacks that actually matter? Um, How do I figure out if an attack is targeted or not targeted? So a lot of this is really based around data analysis and sort of a more scientific approach, I guess, uh, to security. Yeah. Now, share with us uh, the work that you do with SANS. 
Yeah, so uh, SANS has really evolved out of uh, this DeShield project. At the same time, SANS had a system called incense.org. Incense.org essentially collected emails and reports uh, from the industry about what people were seeing in in their networks. So when I was hired for SANS, I basically combined what is DeShield and what was incense.org to this new thing, the Internet Storm Center. The Internet Storm Center uh, is, uh, well, I describe it as a sort of collaborative information sharing community for uh, security where people can tell us what they're seeing, we try to make sense of it, or we just ask via our posts uh, the public, hey, you know what, um, what do you think about this? What's your own experience uh, with this particular threat? So in addition to that, uh, I'm sort of responsible for the research part uh, of SANS, SANS also has a graduate school, the SANS Technology Institute, and I'm sort of running the research program of that, which is mostly our students writing research papers. Now, you also are the host of the uh, Internet Storm Center podcast. Uh, can you mm-hmm. share with us uh, what's what's behind that? What prompted you to start that? You've been quite successful with that. Yeah, the, the idea really came out of a conversation with a colleague uh, where uh, how do you sort of spend the, the time in your commute? But this was sort of a few years back uh, where podcasts just have started coming up. And uh, what I sort of found is that a lot of the podcasts are either too long or too noisy in the sense that uh, there is a lot of chatter about nothing more or less. So I figured, well, can we do something really more uh, more relevant and and shorter. So uh, I came up with the idea. Why not do a quick uh, five minute daily news summary? And this was also built around uh, well five minutes. That's something I can actually do every day. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, so basically at the in the evening usually I sit down and uh, just talk for five minutes about uh, what happened that day, what I thought was relevant uh, for people's morning commute. That's sort of you know how it is essentially timed and. The idea is to make you sound smarter when you show up at work because you already know about some of the things that may come up during the day. So uh, we want to talk about uh, threat intelligence. Uh, and uh, I'm, so I'm wondering, you know, what is your take on threat intelligence, the current state of things, and, and how it fits into how people better defend themselves? And so threat intelligence is really this huge space, and everybody t- considers a little bit something different as threat intelligence. Uh, there's sort of the joke uh, that I always say is that um, when we, when SANS first offered a threat intelligence class where I was saying, hey, you know, are you talking just about reading RSS feeds for five days? <laughs> uh, that's not what threat intelligence is. Threat intelligence is really about understanding the attacker better. That's uh, sort of what it's supposed to do. Now, there are different ways to understand your attacker better. Part of it is learning from attacks others observe. That's sort of I think uh, what people think of of the most when I talk about threat intelligence, so getting reports about attacks that affect others, and then look for similar attacks in your environment that you may have missed before. I think another important part of threat intelligence that's often missed, I find, is learning from incidents in your own environment. So if you find that compromised system in your in your environment, figure out how do I find more systems like that? That's, of course, a question people always a little bit hate to ask, but uh, if you find one system in your network that's compromised, there are probably others that had the same vulnerability or the same attacker was interested in them. So 
don't don't forget to ask that question and then try to close the loop with your SOC, with your security analysts, uh, so that the incident handlers really talk to these security analysts, tell them, hey, these are sort of the the artifacts that you probably want to look for uh, in order to find more compromised systems. Now, what sort of advice do you have for folks who are looking to start using threat intelligence? What's the best way for them to shop around and, and figure out uh, what's best for them? Well, I think you really have to first consider uh, where are sort of your gaps. Uh, what do you not know about attacks that you're currently experiencing? And then try to find a vendor, an organization can really help you with that. Another issue with this, it should be somewhat relevant uh, to your business, to the type of network you're running. So what usually works pretty well are sort of industry-specific sharing organizations, because if you are, let's say, a bank, then you're probably going to see attacks that other banks are seeing, but you're probably not that terribly interesting in attacks that retailers are seeing. Mm. So having that kind of filtering and that kind of specialty uh, is certainly important as you look uh, for relevant threat intelligence. It's very easy to get too much threat intelligence. It it should help you focus on attacks and incidents that matter. Uh, that's really sort of the goal of it. Uh, so if you get more threat intelligence than you get IDS alerts, well, then you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we hear people uh, having to deal with this sort of fire hose of information and alerts and, you know, their logs and um, it, it, it seems that the real goal here is to make the intelligence that you get actually actionable. Yeah, I always call it sort of, it should help you color your logs. So you get all of these feeds from your internal sensors. Um, and we all know a lot of them are false positives. But now you would like to add this threat intelligence information to really tell you which one of these alerts are relevant. And uh, you know, basically highlight those uh, those alerts and assign them a different priority. I think that that's sort of a one way how threat intelligence can be used. Now, switching gears to, to talk about the, the broader uh, cybersecurity world, uh, what are some of the things, that, as you look forward, as you look towards the horizon, what are some of the things that, that have you really concerned? Well, I think uh, the attackers are getting really good in sort of harvesting public information to create more sort of widely targeted uh, social engineering attacks. So examples are using things like LinkedIn and such. It has been gone on for quite a while, but I think attackers are getting better at that. So for example, attackers are using things like usernames and passwords that leaked from, from other sites in order to attack you. Mm -hmm. Those attacks tend to be pretty difficult to defend against. Uh, because they come typically from large uh, botnets, so so large networks of IP addresses. They use somewhat real and relevant uh, information to hit your site. Uh, this is really hard. Uh, these credential stuffing attacks are sometimes called uh, their huge problem. I also see them uh, being used, for example, in a case uh, from earlier this year, uh, where an insurance had problems uh, with that. Uh, if you have life insurance, for example, and you never set up an online account uh, to link with your life insurance, criminals are now using that publicly leaked information in order uh, to set access for you, essentially. And there's so much information leaked, I don't think there's really a great way really to authenticate the user via just uh, online means anymore. Hmm. So in that case, actually, they went back to sending out paper mail, which 
isn't necessarily you know where we want to go. Yeah, yeah, not 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 terribly <laughs> efficient. Well, I mean, yeah. where where do you see it heading? I mean, have we has the horse left the barn when it comes to to privacy? When it comes to uh, being able to effectively authenticate people, is it something we need to to pull back in? I think uh, in part, uh, horse left the barn when you're talking about just online verification. I haven't really seen anybody do that right at this point. Hmm. In general, I think uh, what we really have to learn and get a better handle on is sort of not that evaluating risk correctly. Uh, So how much risk are we exposing ourselves based on what authentication method or uh, what features we allow online? And uh, some things maybe they should not be done online. And we had a big discussion like uh, in the U.S. here with electronic voting and such. Mm. uh, Maybe paper ballots aren't really all that bad. And you have to, in the end, decide, is it worth not to have paper ballots? What do you actually gain by not doing that? And uh, is it it worth the cost saving? And I think uh, businesses have to ask the same question. Uh, Are they actually incurring more risk than it's worth. Now, what about, uh, you know, I think in our industry, we deal with a lot of hype. And and particularly in the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of hype around artificial intelligence and machine learning, almost to the point where I think when when those terms come up, there's a tendency for some folks to roll their eyes. And and I wonder if, if we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because those are useful tools when applied correctly, um, but the, the hype machine has kind of devalued them. Yeah, I don't think you can really do much about it. Sort of the hype cycle is sometimes called, and there's a new technology like this. It takes a while for reality to set in and people really to know what what it does. A lot of this, of course, is also the, the funding game where companies really are more into selling stock uh, than, than actually sell products. And, uh, you know, sadly, some investors are falling for these keywords. But uh, I think this is something that will sort itself out over the years. Now, what about the, the workforce issues? I mean, something that obviously you're involved with there at SANS yep. is, is training people and getting people up to speed. First of all, do you think that the workforce issue, the shortage of, of qualified people, is as bad as, uh, as, as it's set out as, or as it's described? I think it's bad. I'm not sure if it's as bad as some of these studies say. Uh, There's, of course, some hype there as well. Uh, But I think there's certainly a shortage. And uh, there is really business also have to figure out uh, how much are they willing to pay for these positions. I think there's also some mismatch and expectations there. In the end, I think uh, we certainly have to train more people. We have to train them earlier. Uh, by the time they get to SANS, they usually already have a job in security. So at that point, it's almost too late uh, to do it. Uh, SANS, of course, itself, we try to do a lot more with high school kids and and uh, try to get people earlier in their career in order uh, to to really sort of build a pipeline there of uh, cybersecurity professionals. Yeah, can you describe to us? I mean, what 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 is the focus of SANS? What what are some of the programs that you're offering, and what are your goals? Well, uh, one thing we, for example, do quite successfully now is uh, sort of at the high school or undergraduate age uh, to really try to identify um, candidates uh, using, for example, gamification of security, where we sort of set up these security games, these challenges, and uh, try to figure out who's actually good, who has the right aptitude to do it. And what we actually find is that um, a lot of kids didn't even realize they're actually good at it. 
Uh, in part, it's cultural that, you know, based on family background and such, they never really were exposed to it. But um, in part, these challenges, uh, they're not just uh, testing technical knowledge, but really, you know, do you have the right aptitude? Do, are you the person that really, you know, likes to dig into a problem like this, into a puzzle, as we often have them uh, with cybersecurity? And are you able to, you know, come up with a new and interesting solution uh, to problems like this. So I think that that has a lot of promise. Uh, you're really able to identify these kids and uh, get them into these careers uh, where they can really make a difference. Yet. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I've heard uh, cases where organizations are going out and trying to find people like musicians because, uh, you know, they're, they're people who are, are trained to, to handle things that come at them in real time, collaborating yep. with other people. And, you know, it's, it's a way of thinking that can apply, can shift and apply to cybersecurity quite well. Yeah, I remember one case where I was teaching a class for a company in the Bay Area. They had huge problems hiring people because the cost of living and everything. And one student in class, he was a photographer and literally he, he lost his equipment at the beach needed a job and signed up <laughs> and <laughs> and was hired and, and he was actually one of the better students in class he really um, he really got going at it. this was a very technical class so uh, it you really have to look a little bit outside the uh, outside the usual candidate candidate pool uh, to sort of identify these people and of course you want to identify them early on you want to know can they do it yeah, so it's not just random hiring and then you know throw a lot of training at them and see who who makes it but uh but you know the, the trick is to identify these people and see can they actually do it uh, can they learn what needs to be learned in order uh, to do that job do you think some of the organizations on the hr side are doing themselves a disservice by you know, we see some of these almost comical uh, job requirements, you know, must, uh, you know, looking for interns must have 10 years of professional experience, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yep, yep. Now, I think the problem is a lot of HR departments or companies are looking for perfect candidates that already know everything they know for the job. And mm. that doesn't exist in security. Uh, you know, you may be able to find a forklift driver that has a experience driving forklifts, but uh if you're looking for, for example, a security analyst that has experience in the very specific software packages that you're using in your company, uh, that's the wrong way to go about it. You have to find people with the right aptitude, and then you have to train them internally. Uh, that's what you have to do, in particular since stuff will change. In this industry, the software package you're using today is probably not the software package you'll use in two or three years. So the ability of people to learn and the ability or the willingness of companies to actually support this with training and such, I think is critical to overcome this shortage and really find good candidates. Now, as a teacher, what is your advice for those who are coming up who are looking to study these topics? Uh, you know, what's the best way for them to approach it? How can they get the most out of the classes that they're signing up to take? Well, I think stick to the basics. Uh, don't over-specialize too early. Uh, anybody in security should have a good network uh, back, networking background. Um, should know how to do some coding. So start with that and uh, you know, don't get right into hacking. Everybody wants to hack. That's mm. sort of my complaint with industry that uh, also our pen testing classes so always seem to be the best-selling classes where actually what you actually need to do is you need to defend. And so um, learn the basics, uh, 
don't get stuck with the hype of the latest tools and such and really don't learn tools uh, learn technologies that's really sort of what it comes down to our thanks to Johannes Ulrich for joining us be sure you check out his podcast that's the Sands ISC Stormcast podcast it is definitely worth a listen Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 